Welcome, friends, to Tanked Up, the podcast about video games and beer. I'm your host, Ben. It's episode 282, and this week I'm joined by two beautiful people, our friends from Pillbug Interactive, Dave and Sean. Hello, both. Hi. Hi, Hello. Ben. Hi, Tanked Up crew. <laughs> Just flying solo as the Tanked Up crew Yeah. Uh, this week. Um, so, guys, um, yeah, how, how are you doing? How are things good things are good yeah it's uh, mm-hmm. so if we look a little bit dazed it's because it's the start of term and uh, oh yes yes yeah so yeah i i can't believe it's like only wednesday i genuinely thought it was friday all day <laughs> and i'm really disappointed have you already um, smashed out a week's worth of work in three days yeah it feels like oh man like yeah. so many students so many like i love teaching but it's a lot mm. <laughs> like and it comes at you fast this time of year <laughs> Amazing, amazing, especially when you've spent your summer releasing a video game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, God, we did that, didn't we? I we mean, released like, two, like, like a what, three weeks ago. ago we, yeah. did a, we, we released a game. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's, yeah. Uh, let's get into that in a moment. First, as always, we'll open up some beers. Uh, uh, Dave, we'll start with you first. Okay. What, are you, right, what are you going to be opening and drinking this evening? So I'm going to be I'm going to be opening a beer that someone left in my house, which I think is always oh. <laughs> a very sweet kind of adds an extra sousant to uh, how much I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> and this is the Turning Point Brewing Company's Happy to Be Here Pilsner. Nice. Okay. All right. Uh, it's a Czech style Pilsner with Sars hops. That's S-A-S-S-A-A-Z. So for you who know your hops, we'll know a bit about that, I'm sure. Uh, it's bready and crisp with a balanced bitterness and a delicate hop aroma, showcasing perhaps our least celebrated ingredient, soft Yorkshire water. Oh. So if you're from Yorkshire, you'll be fully aware that your soft water is beer-worthy, I'm sure. But uh, And that's it. That's uh, that's that's what, what we've got. So... Um, the art, well, I think, actually, the artwork uh, on the can, which I think is important, uh, you know, given mm-hmm. our situation to, to shout out. I don't know if you do that on Tank Top very often, but it's lottywalsh.com, so you can check out the artwork mm. as well if you like nice. that. It's very cool artwork. So, uh, without further ado, I will crack it open. You crack it open and, and take a look. Sean, what are you going to be uh, opening um, this evening? I have got a... Um, oh, my God. Mo- so... Keller beer, mm-hmm. Motel, Riekendorf, um, yeah. which is so. I started it, it, it good timing. Mm-hmm. I started my um, Honest Brew subscription up again. Um, oh, yeah. I'd kind of like got into cocktails and like had been drinking cocktails a lot and thought I need to like. It's a lot of that. They're, they're full on during the week, so like, let's save the cocktails for the weekend. Um, but yeah, so this one is a so, it's a. A, they're calling it a cellar beer the perfect marriage of German malt hops and yeast flavors and aromas of bready malt and lemony hops um, it doesn't say what kind of hops or anything but yeah nice uh, a, a little can so they don't get that much information on there but you know sometimes it's it's nice to have that just that little bit just that little bit more um Dave Soft, yes, it does look like a beer. It looks like a can. It could be anything in it. I mean, what else comes in cans? Yeah. Fizzy drinks, mm-hmm. uh, kids, pop. I don't know. Can, can confirm it cans. is indeed beer. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't opened it yet, so I can't confirm that right. Well, now. mine is. Mm. Mine is. Who knows what shot? Good. Um, I thought, um, as you know, you two are situated in Wales, that I would pop over there for a, for a couple of beers um, nice. this week. So I, my first one's a little bit of a gamble. It was in the kind of bargain bin in the bottle shop because it went out of date mm, 12 days ago. Um, out of date is a bit of a, 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 a dud sort of term for beer because you have sort of, you know, the, the, the sooner you drink it, the fresher it is, the better it kind of usually tastes unless it's something that can be aged. Um, but this was something that was brewed back in March or packaged back in March. So they gave it a six month date. On it, which lots of beers do, but it should still be good. Anyway, I'm going to drink Wild Horse Brewing Company Run for Cover Pale Ale. There's um, a bus stop and everyone's running away from the weather. Uh, a little bit of flavour text. Um, when you holiday on the North Wales coast, you better be ready to run for cover. Brewed with Columbus, Cascade, Centennial and Simcoe hops. Run for cover is a hazy, zesty pale ale with a clean, bitter finish. Um, it says I. It says something in Welsh. I'm not even going to pretend yeah, to know what that enough. is um and wild horse are from uh, landudno okay yeah oh yeah so there i'm gonna i'm gonna start with that one um it's a 4.8 percent yeah pal sorry i forgot to mention the mine was a five percent pills no i don't know about you sean what's yours uh mine's a 4.8 okay. nice nice uh, dave we'll come back to you um, what was it? Uh, was it a single hop SARS? Did you say it was uh, anything do, do, else? Do, um, it is a SARS hops. Um, I think about uh, yeah, but um, bready and crisp, soft Yorkshire water, Czech style pilsner. Um, mm-hmm. I pour, I poured terribly, so I'm just giving a little bit long. Oh, okay, so that's fine. I'm in good company. Yeah, um, yeah. So at least I'll get my face in some foam to start with, and then and then maybe I'll get some beer. <laughs> Do it. Get all the beer. All the beer. Ooh, okay. Or all the foam. Mm, I can see why they say bready. That's that's kind of got... Uh, that's a good way of describing the consistency of that first taste. Kind of quite stodgy, not... Um, I mean, they say bready and crisp, which I think is an interesting, uh, you know, uh, to use my students' kind of words, uh, a juxtaposition, interesting juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. ready and crisp because i don't tend to approach you know kind of equate those two terms very much and i, I wouldn't I mean, crisp either. bread though i hate crisp bread that's probably why uh uh <laughs> so there's that but um hmm i would say there's kind of a good mouthfeel to this like i would a good dessert so good bready stodgy dessert kind of is where i'm getting with this beer as well not sharp not hoppy uh very soft and smoothly spoken um Ooh. a bit like yourself ben um it's uh yeah i i would say i maybe that's the soft yorkshire water coming through actually uh mm. in fairness um so yeah i'm getting a, a good amount of that very easy drinker especially for five percent um which sometimes you know an old man like me might kind of be like okay let's take it easy but i think i'll be quaffing this quite nicely um yeah yeah and it, it's interesting that they do highlight the water you know there's there's lots of mm. breweries who um who really push that people like buxton of course um mm. but then lots of uh, cornish 
breweries as well are always hammering how good their water quality is and you do notice that in their beers they they do come out as a lot softer so it's easier to get their flavor profiles when they have that slight softness to Mm. them so yeah interesting i've had a few from turning point before but i'm not sure i've ever really picked them up as um you know uh, the the water quality from them so i may have to revisit at some point try and find them again just to see Mm -hmm. If anything kind of jumps out on that kind of front. Good, good. Sean, we will come to what was it? Motel Rekendorf. Uh, Motel Rekendorf. If you see that there. Mm-hmm. Um, so immediately, and like Keller beer, so a, a, a cellar beer, it's immediately reminded me of when like beer, beer, seller, beer sellers in, in Germany. Like this is reminding me. I can't remember the the name of the city, but I went on a conference when I was a postdoc, and it was it's where they have all the beer like cellar places where they kind of walk around with the steins and and um, <laughs> we talk in Germany. Yes, Germany. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 not Nuremberg, but it's like somewhere that it's known for that. And I, really I mean, it's fine. It's small country. There's only a few places that you know do yeah. beer over there, so don't don't worry. It's all, it's all yeah, similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's like immediately it's reminding me of that, which is a really pleasant memory mm. because like we just get every day, every day we just go out there at the end of the day, and that's just really nice. Um, and it's oh, it's just that like like yeah that that's that's what that I don't know how to describe it, but it's like it's like a really good lager, like it's probably mm. the the way that's what I'm getting a lot. It's like but now it's kind of now there's kind of almost like a little sour edge, mm-hmm. that, and and possibly because it's like it's very you know it it's there's a lot of carbonation it's it's fizzy it's oh that's really good. Is it, it's does, like, it edge, yeah. does it edge more towards that kind of lighter crisp and uh, maybe a little bit of a floral kind of hit, or does it go for that danker deeper uh, kind of end to it? So it starts. So it starts out like deep, almost caramel. Like, like it's get mm. that. It's kind of like there's edges. But on, like when I smack on the nose, it's kind of like got that carameliness. I guess those kind of burnt sugar kind of vibes, and then it gets softer as it kind of like now I'm tasting like lemon and that kind of almost like sour sweet kind of taste, like a, almost like a fizziness, mm-hmm. like that sour fizziness rather than just obviously the fizziness from the beer. But yeah. Yeah, super nice, really. Like, and and that I think as it, it's one of those things as you get that kind of like, that kind of sour that makes you want to have another drink. Like, I'm immediately picking it up to drink it again, and yeah, super nice. Good, good, nice. Um, as uh, Frozen Slacker says in the chat, um, sounds like a little bit like a farmhouse ale. I imagine it doesn't quite have maybe the um, sort of the spicy um, kind of esters and things like that of a of a farmhouse ale to it. But it sounds like it's getting that kind of way, mixing uh, those kind of lagery and more saison kind of notes together, and sour kind of notes in there as well. Mm-hmm. Mm, good. Uh, also, thank you, Frozen Slacker and Nacho Dodd for the Nacho Dude, in fact, for the uh, for the follows there on the Twitch channel. Um, Wild Horse Brewing Company, then Run for Cover Pale. I think I'm okay with the best before date being 
two weeks ago almost if you start um, kind of falling off to the side we'll keep going and then just turn worry. green and sit here like this and don't say anything for hours um it, it it cracked when the when the can opened it it was carbonated still that's kind of the worry when it's a little bit out of date that it's lost a little bit of that from it but it was all absolutely fine it's got this nice sort of orangey kind of color to it um, a little deeper than a lot of kind of pales and the nose and the flavor do kind of match up but i think maybe it has lost just a little bit on the flavor it's coming through a little bit watery maybe not quite as big as the as the nose would kind of lead me to to believe but it's got some nice very very easy sort of stone fruits to start with it's edging on a little bit kind of peachy to begin with but then does have a very nice but very easy and light bitter finish to it but everything does feel and it, it may just be that this is how the beer was made but everything does feel just toned down a little bit you know it is a pale it's only four and a bit 4.8 percent so you expect a bit of a lighter beer and it feels like this isn't the right time of day for it this is this is like an afternoon beer you know sat in sat in the sun it is a pale it's a little bit lighter um you know, even the the idea behind the beer, run for cover, being on the um, the North Wales coast, out in the sun, sat down, indeterminate weather just washes over everybody to make you disappear inside. Uh, but it, it does. It feels like you should be sat out in the sun drinking this beer. And it does still have that little bit of carbonation, which keeps it a little bit crisp. And actually keeps it quite wet. So unlike your bit, Sean, where that sourness kicks mm -hmm. in and you want to reach for it to sort of refresh your palate, this is sticking around a little bit. And that bitterness is lasting just enough that I'm not going straight back for it. So whilst that extra bit of carbonation is there, and whilst it's that little bit wet, it's actually a beer I don't think I'm going to drink that quickly. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll round through to, to, to second beers um, in, in about an hour and this will be gone but it's not sort of a chat for 20 minutes and it is finished mm -hmm. um, so yeah yeah I'll, uh, I'll sit and enjoy this and we will nice. we will jump into I suppose what will be our main topic for the episode uh, and as we have already uh, alluded to um, you guys uh, about three weeks ago um, pushed out uh, making it home the kind of the full version i know we've, we've discussed it before on the podcast uh a few months ago now um when you just come out into early access so as a, as, a, as an opening kind of question i mean there's so many questions isn't there to, to delve into but kind of as an opener i've already asked how are you both but really how are you both like how have the last few months been between early access and final release well i guess the first thing to say is that those few months was actually a year yeah was it really gosh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> oh okay but it was like this year so it feels like somehow the time is not doesn't work anymore right <laughs> yeah. or at least the last year it hasn't felt like it did um like no. tired is is the thing that the word that comes to mind. I don't know about you, Dave, but 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, uh, and that's a really good point about how weird it feels time-wise. Um, you know, a couple of months, a year, eighteen months. Do we even know anymore? Like, but yes, we were we were in early access. Was it the full year, Sean? Was it twelve? It was months? it literally? I think it was, it was over a year. Okay, All right. one month yeah. over a year, something like that. So, and that would have been roughly the yeah the the time we spoke to you last mm. about making it home. So yeah. I mean, tied, yes. I mean, the, the final push was uh, pretty full on, um, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, what what we tried to do was, I suppose, try to learn some of the lessons uh, that we, we kind of felt we, well, that we identified from the launch of Cycle 28 and the update for intelligent design. Um, but you know, kind of in doing so, stumbled into a whole raft of new problems and challenges and things to think about. Um, and you know, I'm sure we're going to get into all these areas in more detail in a moment. But I suppose also just that um, even when you're trying to learn lessons of things that happened a couple of years ago, like the landscape shifts and changes so rapidly that uh, you start kind of thinking, well are those lessons even valid anymore? Like, do they really help? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so... But it's a different tired, time yeah, as well, right? So, oh, yeah. So there are other kind of lessons on top of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and things to take into consideration, I suppose. I'm... Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, like even just the change in the landscape from when we launched into early access to when we launched proper. Like, even in that, that time the way you launch a game on Steam has massively changed. Like the idea of these Steam Next Fests and mm. all of these things that are going on, which was not a thing when we launched in Early Access. Like we were part of the first, in fact, we were in the first Steam Next Fest or the first Steam Festival, which had all sorts of technical problems for us because it was the first time they did it. Um, and and we've not been able to, well, the only other one we went into was the, um, the, the, the co-op one, but and that yeah like that that now has just completely changed the the way that that works like mm-hmm. the way you get eyes on your game on steam mm. so is it i i i suppose with that landscape kind of changing has that been sort of the biggest challenge um you know outside of kind of just standard development sort of mm-hmm. um stuff or has there been other things that have played into it as well um, I like that's always a challenge for us because we because we self-publish and we only get to do this once every X number of years. Mm. Um, it's really hard to learn those lessons versus someone like, say, No, uh, no More Robots or, or, or kind of Devolver or all these kind yeah. of where they do it more often. They can really learn these things. So often what I do is try and learn from those people. And like so you're kind of trying to monitor what are people doing, what's working but in a way that you don't get gravitated to the quick fixes that that they're, they're they're quick fixes that actually are very specific to that situation like the classic thing would be everyone you know everyone oh everyone do early access because minecraft did it and look at minecraft mm. you'll be the next minecraft and then like more recently it's do what among us did you'll be the next among us um and, and that sort of stuff and, and so i think it is challenging and it's something we talk about a lot is it's challenging because you can do everything right learn all those lessons 
but that doesn't mean it's going to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think, um, you know, talking about what those other, you know, the the landscape shifting so quickly is that the main challenge is certainly a big part of it, but obviously the other main challenge for us is kind of as Sean was saying there is the size of the team that we are, the expertise we do and don't have, um, and kind of managing within those constraints. And I suppose in some ways it's about expectation management as much as anything, but also mm. just recognizing where you do have skills and where your time can be best spent and also what skills you can kind of, uh, you know, pick up and where you can, you know, we've tried a bunch of different things, I think over the last three mm-hmm. years in Pillbug to just see what happens. Like, you know, um, things like I'm thinking about, you know, the obvious social media channels, but also things like Patreon. We didn't do a Kickstarter, but I know other people do to hugely varying success and things like that. Um, and it's about finding where those that energy and that time for us is reaching not just a volume of people, but I suppose about the kind of people that are interested in what we do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and I think Sean has put in a lot of time and energy into figuring out or trying to figure out that. And then, I mean, I'm, we'll get to this, I'm sure, in a bit, um, but has had some surprising success in some areas and then some surprising lack of uptake in others. And I'd love to say we we could say why that mm. was the case. But I, I mean, other than maybe Sean would say otherwise, but it feels like an educated guess when we say like, this is why we think we've done well here, mm-hmm. but not so yeah. well there. Um, mm-hmm. Is that fair, Sean? Would- yeah, like, like without actually sitting down and talking to the people, like the most important people are the people who don't buy your game because you want to talk to them and say why mm. or, and to understand or well I mean maybe not I, I I think the way that I've started looking at marketing and, and it's kind of weird we, we're talking this is the thing that we're gravitating towards yeah without like, saying about, let's talk without, marketing that's yeah, what we're yeah, talking yeah that's what we're talking yeah. about is discoverability and and how games you know um because let's be honest and put cards on the table here like we are we are well within the hidden gem category so hidden right so hidden so, so hidden. gem so gem yeah, yeah. so yeah. gem right um, now <laughs> so so yeah like and and so what i'm starting to kind of see marketing as in my mind is it's and, and this was it's not my idea so rami ismail ismail was, mm-hmm. has been doing um uh he does a lot of consultancy for indie devs trying to Uh, get started and he's now has a mailing list which is really useful and one of the things he was talking about was this idea that actually your marketing isn't about convincing people to buy your game it's about convincing people who wouldn't like your game not to buy it and if you start to think about it in that way that you're actually trying to cull people off at every stage of your funnel Wow. Of your okay. and your funnel being like That's your marketing, flip, it? yeah. yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. it's the other way. And he's like saying, you know, like his argument is we all look at it the wrong way around. Mm. And actually, at every stage, we want to be removing the people that won't like what you're doing, rather than trying to get the people who would like what you're doing. Mm. Um, mm. And so, so yeah. So that's why it's kind of a, like I, I've often thought about. I wish I could talk to the people who didn't buy it, but actually, thinking now, now. That's maybe not necessarily what I need, what the information we need, but um, 
Yeah. So knowing, yeah, it's it's like trying to figure out where do we put our energy when there's no answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I guess it's uh, that's an important point and one that absolutely makes sense. You know, when you have a a, a product which which has a very specific um, set of mechanics to it, um, you know, it, it is very much a sort of not a genre game as such, but but fits a certain kind of mold. You will sort of almost want to bring in the people that have played games similar. As Steam sometimes gets completely wrong, you have played games similar to this, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's those kinds of people that you want to to kind of bring in and it's like people who only play call of duty they're never going to play this why why are we wasting our energy yeah pushing to mm-hmm. those kinds of people so yeah that, that absolutely makes sense and mm-hmm. how, how, how much time have you kind of devoted to that as well at the moment it, it, have you found that it's taken a a year because you were in early access and, and and throwing out kind of updates and changing things kind of as you went, and we'll come on to the idea of a final product perhaps in a, in a moment, mm-hmm. but how much time has gone into updating and refining things in the game versus that sort of marketing side of it? Because kind of early access almost seems to me at least like uh, not a soft launch, but that is kind of the point to not make your mark but that's when you get your foot in the door when you're like right we're here we have a product this is what it is but you know 80 percent of it is is here and exists so this is what the what it is going to be um you you almost have that point and i i remember sort of anecdotally um different people talking about sort of the success of uh, darkest dungeon when it came out in early access years ago now and so many people jumping on it at early access. And actually, when it had its final release, it was more of just an update for the people who kind of already had purchased the game rather than it being, here is the release of the game. So I, I can imagine that marketing has taken up maybe more than you would like it to. But but what is that kind of, you know, uh, um, breakdown? I mean, it's really interesting because I think... Uh... And uh, as Sean said, like many other people have mentioned this in, you know, far more successfully in, uh, you know, in bigger forums and so on. Like marketing should be day one. Like you should be like the the idea that you develop the game and then start thinking about marketing is is not a route for most Mm -hmm. people to to a a product that will sell and, and that people will find. Um, So, you know, and, and that can be as simple as as soon as you've you've got uh, the requirements for a Steam store page. You put a Steam store page up. It doesn't matter if the mm-hmm. game's two years away, fact, three we, years away, whatever. We planned our entire develop cycle, development cycle around that. Like when we mm. first had the idea for making a home, it's like how quickly can we get to a trailer? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and you know, early access then um, for us, okay, was a was kind of a new thing because obviously we didn't do early access with Cycle Twenty Eight. Uh, obviously not with Intelligent Design either. Although that's a whole different discussion, I guess. Um, you know, it, it was it was as much, and I think we can admit to this, Sean. Um, although I always get nearly in trouble for saying things I shouldn't, um, <laughs> including on launch day, where I almost uh, harpooned our own Steam 
stream by asking people to what was it to wish list or review no you ask people like it's it's a very clear valve has a very clear rule about you do not ask people to review your game on steam oh and dave started to ask people to review oh, our close. game on the steam's store like we did a launch day stream and like yeah i managed to catch it just before yeah so yeah. Sean, Sean stops me from doing really. I, I, I can imagine Gabe is sat at his, uh, you know, computer just watching every single new launch stream and just instantly presses the Red no button. button. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was going to say, and I think I'm allowed to say this, is that early access for us was as much about find getting you know feedback from like early players and testing out new update things, uh, content updates and things like that, as it was trying to build wish lists. Mm-hmm. Um, wishless numbers and to get people uh, to kind of seeing the game and maybe hopefully talking to each other about the game as it was yeah. content updates and patches. Mm-hmm. We did write that in our Steam. We we literally disclosed that on the Steam store page. There we go. There we so go. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, so let's let's kind of get into the game itself. Um, how much has changed since that? kind of early access release um and because i know that it released with the first two acts mm-hmm. um has it just been a case of coming in and throwing in act three or has it been much more we now need to refine everything in act two and go, going into act three and rejigging all of these kinds of things and refining what we're doing uh, um, what, what's that been like it feels like it's changed a lot in my head. It it I I go between so I was actually like like forget about the whole early access process. I'm thinking now in my head just the last version 1.0 patch. Right? I remember working on it and thinking oh this is taking a while. There's not going to be enough in here to make people excited. And then it took me an afternoon to write the patch notes. And I realized, "Oh, no, there's stuff in here. We've done stuff. There are. It's not just a case of we added the final boss and the and and this. You know, we had actually. We said so the final boss in the game. We learned so much about how things, other things, were kind of broken that then I had to go hmm. back and fix, right? Yeah. So and and that was that was a big deal. Um, it's such a blur. I don't know. Can you like? You're, so you're I'll I'll, I'll try. I'll try and do my yeah. best to help Sean out here who's struggling. But yeah, so I mean obviously the big thing from from my side of things was the was the final act storyline which pulls all together hopefully all the things that you as the character unlock and talk through in the first act and the second act and you kind of build to this third act. Um, whilst also adding something new to the narrative because it's not just about tying up loose threads. There's Mm. a whole other thing to... And because, obviously, um, without going too into the weeds of story and narrative stuff, um, it, you know, the way it has to both be satisfying as a story but also fit the the overall structure of the game. And as Sean was kind of suggesting there, we've got a final boss encounter... Every act ends in a final boss encounter, and the story, ideally, uh, should lead you into that boss encounter with not just a mechanical response of "oh, this is what I've got to do," but also an emotional response as a player mm. of "I want to do this because the way we interacted two truck stops ago, or what you said to me uh, earlier about this, or I really need to prove myself." Uh, X, Y, and Z. So 
that was the big thing in terms of like you're right you know act three needs to be available not just so that the truck stops are there and you can get to the end but the story's there the different objectives um we've got different hazards and objectives to kind of teach the player what to do ahead of the final mm -hmm. boss encounter as well so that all needed to be put in but as sean said what uh what that now does is um because those those kind of panels will be permanent. Some of those panels will be permanently unlocked, and they are kind of gated into different acts. So, for those of you who don't know the game, you're, it's a vehicle building game where you're putting together rooms and panels. We call them panels. They're basically rooms on your on your train or your vehicle um, to kind of get you from A to B. And those panels uh, get more and more sophisticated and automated. I think it's fair to say as you progress through the game, especially in Act Three where the kind of design philosophy for Act 3 was sci-fi, whereas mm -hmm. like Act 2 was kind of just basic kind of old school automation and Act 1 was just get them vehicle moving any way you can. Kind of. mm -hmm. um, so we riff on a lot of our childhood 80s kind of sci-fi classics in there um, pretty, um, pretty blatantly. Like we don't try and hide it. Like there's, um, there's a lot of kind of, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, there's there's a lot of, easter eggs for you um nice. to, to spot but yeah so uh so but because you can unlock those and go back through we did then have to think well how is this going to affect people's playthroughs of act one and act two as, as people go back through so um we a lot of i think early access for sean and i was just uh quite nice in a sense of just playing the game like building loads of vehicles giving our amazing discord community some of who are watching tonight so thank you everyone um uh, a chance to get to grips with some of these and they were some of our you know obviously our best playtesters is our discord community mm -hmm. who were just like right i can break this i'm going to try this i'm going to throw this at this and see what happens um which is which has been brilliant so that was really key to seeing kind of coming back to your question ben of like what we have to rejig in the acts one and two <clears throat> two that were originally there in early access mm-hmm mm -hmm. Yeah, we also added as well. I just realized, like, we added workshop support mm. in early access. We added local co op in, lo yeah. in early access, uh, which was kind of almost like a joke feature that we added, um, which turned out amazing. Like, yeah, like, really why do you say it was a joke feature? Talk about because this a it, it bit, feels because, because, because it was like. It was, wasn't it? Was it Dave Soft mentioned it in our stream, right? Once or something? Yes. Like, I, like, and 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 it turned from that into a, a running joke that eventually it's going to be making it home together, and then we were just like, Do you know what? I bet. And it was one of those amazing moments as a as a programmer, which doesn't happen very often. And now is like the intro of like my my computer games module, is I could just control C the player character, control V, and it worked. <laughs> right. That that and that was like I I felt I have never felt so powerful as a software engineer. That was like peak of my career. Like that, that just worked. Um, uh, yeah, Fro Frozen was very impressed by the speed at which you managed to hit Control C and Control V. So maybe that's kind of uh, explained why that feature was added quite so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I seem to remember it was that that there was chat around. Is it because the ladybug? Um, mm -hmm. A character uh, is red. Is it a case of just making it a 
a black and yellow ladybug or a you know a completely yeah. different color so like i feel pretty good about the fact that it took me longer to do what needed to be done for uh for for for, for the player two presumably in putting the palette together wait uh, wait wait, 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 wait. Do, did you, you know you didn't do palette? anything you didn't yeah, do anything okay. i just i just did used I a shader. Color it? like yeah, you no a you didn't i just like <laughs> programmatically turned red to yellow God, uh, <laughs> like, dear yeah. me Deary yeah. me. I feel mm-hmm. okay, so I can't claim credit for that. But you're right. Yeah, that it's a yellow. You drew that camera. You drew the camera sprite. That's true. That's true. That did take longer than that. So yeah, yeah. There we go. It wasn't in the initial release. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, always helping. But yeah, I mean, what that's led to actually, which is even more amazing for me, the thing that really blows my mind is that again, one p- person in particular in our Discord community really took the ball, if you'll forgive the pun. And, and ran with that and uh, put up a, on the workshop a, a completely like self-generated mini game of a version of basketball in our game where you as two ladybugs face off against each other and try and get balls into baskets. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like, like just that blew my yeah, mind. There are a bunch of like competitive multiplayer games now in our game. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, amazing. That's bonkers. Yeah, he he yeah. also put together a sprint race. Like I thought that was fantastic too. But the boulder ball is genuinely perhaps my favourite way of playing our own game, and we didn't come up with. You mean it, basket so. boulder? But no, I will never call it basket boulder. That sounds so clunky. <laughs> Definitely boulder ball. I, I think I think I like boulder ball better. It, it yeah, rolls. It rolls just just See, that little bit easier, doesn't it? Not my idea, but I will name it and and take some credit for that. Um, <laughs> as Lucy's just jumped in the chat uh, as well, uh, Def Jam Ladybird. Um, yes. Someone, someone workshop some kind of um, competitive uh, beat 'em up in there as well. Uh, maybe a little rad. bit more, maybe a little bit more difficult to do, uh, but interesting nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Good. So uh, you know, things added, uh, things uh, kind of gone back to and um, you know revisited and, and revised if kind of necessary. Um, we. I suppose kind of when you kind of came into early access and had those first two acts and had sort of the base for the for the game, did you find that then Act Three perhaps took a little bit longer to to kind of get to and then push out this kind of final version of the game versus the the the, the the stuff that you had kind of already done, was it something that you think perhaps if you hadn't have gone into early access may have um, taken you this long to get to that kind of finished product uh, because of all of those extra bits that you've gone back and revised and had play tested through and and kind of almost QA'd uh, um, for you? Is it a case that, that you really kind of went to town on Act Three, and and you know, spent a lot more time knowing that you had the year as such um, that you've taken to be able to do that. It's a really great question. Um, I think the the kind of cop out answer is it's hard to say because of COVID. Sure. Really. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, putting that to one side, um, I don't. I I don't think it it really took us that much longer um, 
I think what we both realized was the scope of this game was so much bigger than our other two games that mm -hmm. to just finish a game of that size um, was going to take us longer than we'd initially thought. And I don't know. I I mean, I don't really see that those first two acts were a sprint and then the we slowed up a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, yeah, COVID did have a knock-on effect on all, all parts of the development because it had a knock-on effect on all parts of our lives. But mm. um, I don't get the sense that it took a lot longer. But but even if it did, I think, like, it's the third act, it's the final, it's the combination of all the things that you've built in those mm -hmm. first two acts. Um, in some ways that should technically make it quicker, but you are then doing things like being more ambitious with what you're pushing your mechanics mm -hmm. and systems to do. And Sean certainly found, like, Sean will speak to that, I think. Yeah, like, like, and I think, like, we added things so like the the, the the really big the classic example or the example in our game is um we introduced we when we were working on act three we introduced uh drones which would fly around and drop stuff on you and then we were like holy shit this is fun like this is really fun <laughs> why are we putting this right at the end and so then we were like right okay we need to put that in act one and then that started questioning, like, oh, what about all these other legs we've introduced, these other things to do? Like, they're not as fun now as the stuff we've got in Act 3. So because we we were just kind of, we knew what we were doing, we knew how to make it fun. And so now we're like, well, we need to make the other stuff funner. <laughs> like, it, it needs to c come up to the level we just made Act 3, you know? Um, so that, that happened. And did we have the final... Did, yeah, we had the second Act boss... I, yeah, it's really hard. Like, I mean, like, yeah, like COVID. It just it's it was a hard year. Like, it was a very it felt longer because I think it was so difficult. And it was, I think, towards the end, we were just like, we just need to launch. We just want to launch. Mm. We just need to launch. And just it doesn't mean we're going to stop working on it. It just we just need to click the button, get it launched, and then we can kind of move on, and do whatever we're going to do. Um, and I mean, the beauty of this game, I mean, <laughs> because it's really interesting for us as a small company, obviously, thinking about how, like, how we manage our trajectory. You know, we've done one update for intelligent design. I think the people who enjoy intelligent design enjoyed that update. Um, mm -hmm. And intelligent design continues to sell uh, relatively well, you know, which is great. And, you know, those people who are coming to it for the first time are getting a better UI experience. They're getting a few more level options, and you know, and so on. So that's that's all great. That's great. That's not. Um, that's that's why people enjoy games that see updates, and you know, and so and so on. And why games feel like more of a living product than, you know, many many others. Um, whether or not we see a cycle twenty eight update, you know, where you mm. could have more enemies, more bosses, more backgrounds. That's something like people have asked mm -hmm. for, just a bit more visual. Uh, variety there as well or that slightly goes against the the kind of story side of it but i can see why people would be interested in that um with making it home and which is kind of why it, why i bring those those kind of updates up there's just a much more obvious route for us to keep adding content through yeah. the panel system that will be really dynamic and exciting in a way that yeah okay like cleaning up some ui or 
adding in a feature here or there or some more weapons in cycle 28 or more enemies that's great but like that doesn't have a knock-on effect on almost all the other systems whereas if we add a panel in uh or a system in in making it home suddenly vehicle design space grows and i'm going to dangerously mm -hmm. use the word exponentially because sean always tells me i misuse it uh like a good uh english major that i am uh, uh. um but that's what it feels like even if it's not yeah. mathematically yeah, yeah. true no, it, 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 i think in this case you possibly using it correctly but i'd have to like draw a graph um which i'm not going to so yeah but it even now and just like, pulls the whiteboard a, out yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah he's I, probably got I that graph already about, that's yeah. and um <laughs> i could actually get um yeah no i i so one thing and this oh this sounds so fake but it's the truth trust me guys is that even now i'm discovering new combinations of things in the game that mm. we made you know like and and that is and and it's because we made it a systematic game that was based on systems that interact with each other and so that means adding one new thing can affect everything and then and that's so and and then we can also like i think the thing that we said we wanted to do in early access but to be honest we didn't get the audience to really get these ideas is we want to kind of which we have a bit more now that we've launched is see where people are enjoying things and build the stuff that people are gravitating towards so for example and and this is not confirmed like this is just in my, Again, I'm going to get in trouble for saying things. Um, <laughs> like in a, like one thing is thinking about like, you know, Luke Lee has made like uh, the boulder ball, the basket boulder, or you know, like what about if we made a panel that helped count, like that that helped make a scoreboard, and like like mm -hmm. like that's something, or or some, or make things panels that are just like some kind of logic thing that allows people to be more creative in what they make. In a way that isn't, do you know what? Who cares if that makes your vehicle go faster? Like it's just something that that gives some someone someone to be, so, you know, just something for someone to mess around with, and and that's what people want. And and let's just go with it. Just like see what happens. And I think we have so many panels. That, well, we have enough panels in there at the moment that I would be quite comfortable, which we weren't earlier on in development, yeah. especially like early in early access as well, having panels that were just kind of gated or separated from from the main narrative so that, like yeah you we would never offer someone in act one a panel that just counts something you know mm -hmm. because they yeah. you know mm -hmm. um but you know as we push more towards challenge modes and sandboxes and the final parts of act three yeah some of our builder panels <clears throat> that are more purely for the creative side of things would be uh would be really really cool design space to explore how how much would you rely on kind of workshop for that going forward in term do you mean like in terms of modding support it's so in terms of modding support in terms of adding kind of and changing up kind of panels and things it is there a mm -hmm. point where the game can kind of just stop and exist as it kind of is and you just allow it to uh, uh, naturally evolve through workshop uh, rather than having to then yeah. go in and kind of add panels. Um, so, like, from technically, that's really challenging to do mm. to, to let people create panels. Which would that would be like? It's one of those. Whenever I say I don't think I could do that, that I then spend a month and can figure <laughs> it out. 
but like I don't that this is like a level above which right. I say every time too but like um you know what so the way you can get move towards that is making these kind of more base element panels mm. that have almost like logic components that then allow people to make kind of meta panels i guess <laughs> right like they can make a panel if you you know if you make logic essentially logic gates in the game it becomes like the redstone in minecraft right is that then they can start building their own panels out of other panels mm. it it feels like it going. to me that's and we this is often again we use as a kind of are we this are we not this or, but that that makes me immediately think of besiege rather than um rather than your minecraft example just because you know then you're not saying here is a wheel uh fully axle you know two to an axle yeah. and two wheels you're like here's a wheel and here's an axle and here's a different kind of wheel what are you going to do with them you know we have an empty frame but what we don't have is a I guess because often our frames exist, few, our kind of panels exist. They synergize with each other, but they, like, I can't, I'm trying to think of why I would want two panel bits stuck onto each other in a single panel, and, and they're probably mm -hmm. there. But other than space saving, um, I'm not so sure. But um, mm -hmm. something I wanted to try and mess around with early on and we realized it was just way too way too much was um, <clears throat> having the player get involved with more of the kind of supply lines of the vehicle so the electricity supply mm. the water yeah. supply mm -hmm. I wanted like them to kind of have to yank across kind of big cables uh, between the two panels that yeah. they built and, and to be thinking about that side of things so that I think there's definitely there's obviously space to expand into the, the kind of core mechanics. Even but... like like hold on to your you know hold your horses here. Diagonal walls. <laughs> <laughs> we could totally do that. It's within. It's pat. You know. <laughs> but it's possible. Like uh, chat is uh, Twitch chat is absolutely going off with different ideas, different mini games, different <laughs> ideas yeah. for what could be happening. But at what point do you stop? At what point do you guys go, this is it? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Intelligent Design had, you know, a, a long time after it released kind of a patch. Um, it's one of those where you could just keep going and keep going and keep updating and keep supporting. Mm -hmm. At what point do you go, we're done? Yeah. I think for us, firstly and foremost, it's, it's very challenging to do this mid-development of the, another game obviously mm -hmm. right because there's only two of us like so any time you spend patching or creating content for an existing game is potentially time away from the new game and i think w what's happened in the past is especially from cycle 28 we went straight on to the development of making a home um what did we that's when we that's when we patched intelligent design yeah we Actually, kind of now I think a, about we, it. yeah we 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 had in our head this kind of this rhythm of we make a game we patch the last game mm. we make a game we patch the you know we leap from yeah yeah but and it, I, there's some yeah. argument to that like i yeah. i i do like the idea of looking at cycle 28 you know not mm. for a long time but just saying you know let's add some enemies let's add some extra mm -hmm. weapons yeah. and see what we can do there um but i i think it's for us as much as because 
you know, okay, there are business decisions to be made, but they are also creative drives. Mm-hmm. And the, I think there's something not restorative per se. It's not a complete stop. It's not taking a complete break and a rest. But there's there's something slightly restful about thinking not that we have to kind of be right back at the drawing board. What's the next game? What's it going to be? Yeah. When do we start marketing it? Let's get a Steam page going. Mm-hmm. You know, all that stuff's in place for Cycle 28. And I think this is partly why Sean's really keen to keep pushing making at home content in the next six months yeah it's like you've done a lot of the hard work and Mm -hmm. you can now Mm -hmm. enjoy that space a little bit more i think that's it is like i i kind of went through the kind of yeah after the launch weekend of like the normal downer that you get whenever you launch whatever the outcome the thing that got me back up is was like oh we could just make stuff for making at home it doesn't matter anymore like we can just do it for fun and that's okay and like we don't have the pressure of a launch we don't have the pressure of this and so that's kind of where I'm at. Mm. Okay, well, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to ask, and it's a it's a, a good place for us to then j- maybe jump into second beers, uh, but because um, Frozen Slack has mentioned it in the Twitch chat, Switch version. <laughs> See how we both go. I like the big sigh. <laughs> uh, like, so I'm going to give you the answer. I give everyone on TikTok that asks that, which is. And there's a lot of people who do ask that. Is um, it depends how things go with this. Mm. And the reality is, you need a huge audience to be successful on Switch. Yeah. And until we have that, like, there's no benefit, and it's a lot of work. It's a huge amount of work. And the one thing that is scaring me from doing an update of Cycle 28 is the Switch version. Is the work that's involved in doing that. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I suppose it's a. It's kind of almost a double-edged sword in that you would like it to be on as many platforms as possible but that then creates the amount of the additional amount of work per platform to update you can't just update on pc without updating on the other platform as well yeah and i think it is worth pointing out that when we were making some certain design decisions uh for making at home the obvious one being the way the blueprint mode operates um you know, we we had conversations. You know, what does this do for a console port? What does this do for a Switch uh, version? Mm. Um, <clears throat> and in the end, we felt we didn't want to compromise the PC experience by thinking so heavily about the Switch or, or console experience. So that's why, you know, the blueprint mode you do have to go to mouse and keyboard for, even if you want to play controller mm-hmm. um, on PC. Um, and as Sean is, a, I'm sure, about to, to jump in and say, it's not that that's impossible to do on, on Switch and you know make that change. It's just that's an extra degree of difficulty that Cycle 28 didn't have. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like straight yeah. onto controller without too many troubles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Good. A, a good point for us to uh, just to break in the conversation um, and open up second beers uh dave i think you're sticking on uh, one beer this evening i am it's a school night that's fair i'm that's gonna right. go grab a beer cool there we go and i shall be right back all right sean you grab yourself a beer i will then open up my second beer um i'm gonna drink again another welsh brewery uh, i'm going for polly's uh this is their india pale ale double dry hopped petal they call it seven percent 
uh, Citra Columbus Aquinot Double Dry Hopped IPA. They don't put much more information than that on it. Polly's from Mould. Um, yeah, Polly's are always good. Polly's a, a fantastic brewery. Um, so we will get this one open. Um, I'm sure chat, very some much. things in chat. Yeah, I was going to say absolutely. Bit. Chat, appreciate, that. appreciate all of the, all of the, uh, all of the comments. Uh, uh, Nacho, dude, Dave, while you're here, uh, I'm, I don't know whether you're answering his question, kind of in the, in the, um, in the chat itself. But why don't you tell everybody? I will say, Nacho, I, I'm, I've been drawn all evening. Say, Nacho, dude, um, <laughs> do you guys ever feel that third parties are a barrier, such as publishing on Steam, developing on Unity, or even Twitch? Yeah, I mean, I was I was just furiously typing away. You've saved me an effort there, Ben, by by letting me answer directly. Um, but we will come back to your beer because I'm very intrigued by petals, um, if nothing else. Um, uh, I think I think any time you work, uh, any working rela- relationship uh, is opportunities and barriers, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, there there's always going to be that. Um, but I think for us, especially for a company of our size, especially me coming into Pillbug when I did, to me, those platforms, those third-party platforms just looked like amazing. They looked phenomenal. They looked open. They looked welcoming. They looked enabling in a way Mm. that um, my previous experience with books, uh, which I do sadly refer to quite often uh, with game stuff because it's my one other frame of creative reference, um, you know, if you want to talk about barriers, like look at that industry, like it's it's, it's like so different. Um, the fact that Steam gives a company information on how many sales they've had is something I don't get as an author, you know, in terms of the options you get on Unity and things like Twitch as a content creator. Again, you just don't get uh, in other creative industries. So, yes. There are barriers within that relationship. Um, there are always going to be ways that a company want certain things done and you have to flex and bend with them um, as much as you know the other side of things. But I just, for me, it just seems like a much more open and welcoming uh, set of, um, or a much more opening and welcoming environment than the ones I, I've experienced in other walks of life. So it's always got a positive spin on for me, even if, at various points, it's quite challenging. Mm, mm. I, I imagine, as a as, as a, a published author, kind of the details that you get is you have printed twenty thousand books, and someone goes, okay, "You say, well, okay, how many of those were sold?" And the answer is, "You have printed twenty thousand books." And you go, "Okay, thanks, great." I will sh- I will shock you by telling you I don't know how many they've <laughs> printed of my books. So you, <laughs> even your your kind of mocking example is like a good example of how little I know I don't know how many a, a print run is publishers don't want to tell you that either sure. I know. well I mean Steam doing at least one thing right then good um, <laughs> perfect Sean you're back um, what beer yes. have you uh, have you cracked open um, so I've got an Ilkley Brewery Hope Optimistic Pale it's a session um, IPA because it's a school night and it's four percent, and it says a beer for forward-looking, or a beer for looking forward. The taste of better times ahead. Juicy hops around the world, oats for a soft finish. Nice. Oh, and it does say 
So malt, golden promise oats, golden promise comma oats, dragon hops, sriracha ace, Idaho sabru and wakatu. Okay. Are you making these words up? Okay. No, I don't know. Do they mean anything to you, Ben? Um, Idaho 7 and Sabro are uh, newer hop varieties. Uh, I mean, I say newer. They've been around for about a year. Lots of people love to brew kind of single hopped versions of those to sort of show what they can they can do with that. Um, uh, interesting that they, they, they've thrown those in there. Uh, what was the last one? Were w- um, w- something. Wakatu. Wakatau? Wakatau, W-A-K-A-T-A-U. Pass. It not like smells an... amazing. Well, I've never smelled a beer like this. Good, good. Um, it, it looks very nice as well. Uh, um, sort of nice and bronzy, a little bit filtered almost. But... Mm-hmm. I should really go into tasting, or are you? Yeah, going... no, you jump into tasting. I haven't even poured my beer. I was listening to the, you know, uh, the. The, the, me rabbit on yeah the the question from the twitch chat and dave's uh response to that oh that's really nice like when you first taste it you're like that doesn't taste of anything and then it just like a second later it kind of hits you of like like almost like like berries but like kind of sour berries like yeah, just it, I, I can't describe it other than that. But. <laughs> uh, Nacho dude, where do you guys get your drinks from? You're thinking of trying some. Um, I mostly buy my beers from local bottle shops. I'm in Bristol. There's tons around me, uh, and a bottle shop is a fantastic place to go when you maybe don't have uh, an extensive knowledge of beers that you can kind of walk in and go what's good and they'll say well what do you like and you go well i kind of like these flavors these are the beers that i've tried before and lots of bottle shop uh owners and staff are very knowledgeable in saying cool this 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 i very recently went into um my local bottle shop and picked a load of beers and uh the guy came down and we we, we you know chat every time i go in and he said mm, Mm, picked up one of the cans that I had uh, taken out of the fridge and went, mm. I won't name the brewery, but he said, the name kind of sells it, but I might not buy this one if I were you. I'm like, cool. Uh-huh. I put it back. <laughs> I picked something mm. else instead. Um, wow. I, I kind of almost want to now buy the beer just to see, you know, if if it wasn't the hype that uh, the name would have uh, would have given to it. Uh, but even then, um, like supermarkets and stuff are increasing their craft beer sales. It's always a good place to start to then move to the bottle shops. Uh, but Sean, you, um, as you mentioned at the top of the episode, have just got back into your Honest Brew um, subscription mm-hmm. or just purchasing... Uh, um, a subscription. Yeah. And I think, and I could be wrong, I'm getting this wrong, but I think... Like you rate the beers every week, and they do seem to then give you beers based on that. Okay, I get the impression that's what's happening because I'm increasingly liking them. There was, um, uh, I did have one. I can't remember the name of the company that Flavorly. So Flavorly mm-hmm. used to actually do that, and then they switched to like a machine learning thing, and immediately it got rubbish. So I stopped. Like it turns out, it was it was like I felt like when, initially when I started with Flavorly, it was amazing. 
because I felt like they were taking me on a journey. Like I initially didn't think I liked sour beers, and there was one I was mm. like, "Oh, this is really nice." And then the next time they were, they like put put in a couple more sour beers, and I was like, "Oh yeah, no, these are really good." And now I, and that was really exciting. And then they switched to like machine learning ruins everything. So <laughs> it, it it happened there. Um, but yeah, and I'm, I'm realizing now this is like massive grapefruit is what I'm getting now. Okay, like. I would just, before Ben goes to his tasting, I would just <clears throat> double down on the bottle shop recommendation. Like, I, it, it's it, amazing what but a, a, even a fairly modest-sized bottle shop stocks that you would never see anywhere else. And, you know, the stuff is fantastic. I, I think for me, I don't know if I'm a bit unlucky, but the big supermarkets I end up going to, it does feel like it's 90% Brewdog and... 10% a couple of other things and they don't they like to be honest it's also 99% IPAs and I'm I have mm. nothing against IPAs but you know that's not the full breadth of of the beer craft beer experience for me certainly so I feel like a bottle shop was just like and I was lucky enough that one opened relatively close okay not too close but relatively close uh you know to me so if you do have one in your localish area it's worth the trip every now and again just to stock up on stuff you can't find elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good. Good. Uh, and Dave, you, uh, I remember from maybe the last episode, uh, I don't know how that's changed over the year, but you were kind of well into your sours at one point, weren't you? Yes, uh, I still am. And I think kind of what Sean was saying really about kind of not being, you know, not, not realizing that you'd like that kind of thing. And then, um, b- I have, yeah, and I look out for it as much as possible in places that have a list, an interesting craft beer list, um, in, in in bars and restaurants and things like that. Um, and I won't go into it too long, but yeah, I think for me it's this weird um, idea of having something. And I guess this is true of a lot of more fruity IPAs as well. In fairness, but uh, for me it was a revelation of being able to have something that was fruity without being overly sweet. And that seems like an oxymoron, right? Like it seems like, you, how can you have fruity without the sweet? And sour beers for me are the answers to that. Um, and, you know, I've really enjoyed uh, the vast majority of them that I've experienced. Good. And I don't like sour, like, sweets. So, like, like you know, I'm not an apple sour kind of kid or anything like that. But sour beers, big fan. Nice, nice. Um, well... I will jump into this uh, to the beer petals, double jar hopped petal from Polly's. Um, it's a thick old boy to look at. Mm. Uh, nice, nice big carbonated head. It's got a, a dankish kind of nose. Um, it's not quite weedy, but it's edging towards that. Um, but at seven percent, it's 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 almost a double IPA. It's not it's not quite a double IPA. Not we're not hitting eight percent. You know, you can't taste the booze on this, but it definitely leans in towards this much more modern or, or the last year's trend of double IPAs going towards this earthy vegetable kind of flavor rather than sticking towards those tropical fruits that the that, that IPAs and double IPAs have tended to go towards. So this kind of opens up with an incredibly ripe melon. Like, just no sweetness at all. 
it is just kind of not even the rind of a melon. This is like a melon straight off the tree um, but before it should have even been harvested. So you're getting much more kind of earthy tones from it. It does have that little bit of... I say bitterness, it's a bitter flavour, but not in the kind of traditional idea that you have a beer, you drink a little bit of it, and then suddenly it becomes bitter towards its sort of finish. This kind of sits somewhere in the middle. It's kind of a little bit earthy, it's got a little bit of bitterness to it. There is a slight bit of very, very ripe fruit in there as well. But it's all balanced out quite nicely. And the last few episodes we've had, when Lucy and I, uh, and we've had guests on, we've been chatting about these kinds of double IPAs, they haven't really taken me. And I think a couple that I have have, ha- have had have been all right. And this falls into that category. This is all right for me. For lots of other people who like these more earthy, oniony kind of flavours to their beers, the way that these double IPAs have been going over the last year will absolutely love this because it falls into that category really well. But it balances these things out. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of... It feels like a standard kind of flavour for the moment um, that lots of other breweries are doing this, but because it's balanced well, it just sets it up above a lot of other examples of this that I've had. And Polly's do make beautiful beer, uh, very well balanced, very well crafted. So it's kind of expected almost that they would do this and it would just be a little bit better than a lot of the other ones kind of out there. Um, the hop combination of Citra, Columbus, and a Q-Not is interesting in that I'm not getting a huge amount of the Citra. I'm not getting that big bitterness that the Aquinot usually brings. Uh, um, the Columbus feels lost. Like all of these hops feel like they're not doing anything, yet they are absolutely doing something to create this very balanced combination of, of flavors. So, um, I mean, it's going to go back really quickly. Um, it's a little bit dry, so I'm, I'm reaching slightly for it, but it's just a very, very pleasant flavor. So, yeah, I will lean into this. Uh, um, uh, Frozen Slacker in the chat. Double IPAs are a step over the edge most of the time. I mean, it's almost all I drink at the moment, unfortunately. It's just a, just double, a double IPA house here. Um, because so, why, why if you've not... In- because so many people are brewing them at the moment. Double APAs are a kind of a big push for people. Um, people want that bigger, boozier, big flavour beer. Um, you know, and it's one that's kind of evolved over the last few years. We started off a couple of years ago with all of these incredibly sweet tropical fruit double IPAs, these juice bombs, and they were thick, they were viscous, and they were it was kind of almost boozy juice. You know, it still tasted like a beer. It still had that kind of dankness, that hoppiness to it as well. Uh, but people are playing with the style so much more now and trying to do lots of different things. Um, so I think that's it, it's one that you go into the bottle shop and there's a fridge of, of stouts, there's a fridge of IPAs, and there's maybe then two fridges of double IPAs. You know, it, it's that kind of thing. People are churning them out more. There's so many of them about at the moment uh, and I've managed to just get to a point where a couple of 8% beers on a night doesn't really make much difference um, mm-hmm. I mean you know once a week we'll say you know once maybe 
three times a week. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, just for the shows, though, yes, right? Ab- just absolutely, exactly, exactly. Um, Working beers. It's it just, I've, I've, I suppose, I've just followed the trend of what people are kind of pushing out, and that will change going into the winter. You know, I'll, I'll jump more into the stouts and porters and, and things like that. Probably imperial strength of of those, but we'll see that's a different problem for a different kind of podcast i suppose um but let's <laughs> jump back into um let's jump back into pillbug uh, uh and and th- before we kind of move on to to other stuff have you guys got any kind of final thoughts on uh, what you wanted to discuss today with with making it home before we move off of the game itself Um, i mean i i will jump in and just say uh thank you to everyone who has played the game reviewed the game streamed the game um you know we've we've the the kind of the thing for us and i i hope we haven't come across as negative because i don't think that's where we're at no, not with, at all. with the not release at all. Of, with release of the game mm-hmm. i think what what continues to be the real uh, kind of wind in our sails if you like is that when people find the game and play the game the vast majority of the people find that they enjoy the game if it's you know if it's like you say if they're if they're roughly in the ballpark to enjoy that kind of game anyway they enjoy the game and to see streamers do that um and share that with their audiences is always amazing so i want to thank thank everyone who's who's done that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah and I, and, and I guess also like to say how proud i am that we made that thing like it's so much more of a game than we i think we had any right to make <laughs> um in in that there's a lot there and i think sometimes you forget how much there is there mm. until you see someone like i mean like yes you know last night i think i said you know oh, not many people are talking about the final boss and it's like well because you got to do quite a lot before you can get to the final boss it turns out um which is not something you could say for any of our other games um but yeah it's it's yeah, it, it. I think. Yeah, it's. I think as well for us. It's like that launch happened right before we started term. Yes, which is why the launch date was that date, and so we kind of went from that quite intense thing into into term, which has been a bit of a. We haven't really had a chance to reflect, I guess. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like again, thank you to everyone in our community who are amazing and keep pushing us forward. Awesome. Awesome. Um. So we'll, we'll kind of jump into maybe uh, kind of games that you may have found some time to kind of play. I know I know you guys, uh, you also stream, Tanks Up usually streams on a Tuesday night. You guys also stream uh, on, a, on a Tuesday night and have been kind of delving into, um, I think when the game came out in Early Access, kind of games that you were pulling from you were playing the game itself on a few sort of streams i know you guys did a big kind of like stellaris stream as well uh, um it does that kind of continue on on that sort of tuesday evening being the only time you guys are finding to play other games at the moment or is that you know and and is that kind of are you now picking games that you just want to play or does that twitch stream still act as a sort of a research space um and are you only playing games for kind of research or is there anything you've played just for fun um, after you do you crack, yeah, crack yeah. On. uh so yeah like like for a while the tuesday stream was the main place i got to play games mm. i wanted to play um and it was partially for research but also just i'd find a cool game and i quite 
you know, just wanted to play it. Um, and I tend to buy a game, play it once on stream, and then it sits in my Steam library, <laughs> kind of just staring at me then. Um, but I, I was... So I, um, I've been playing uh, the Mass Effect trilogy oh. uh, remastered. Um, so I played like Mass Effect 2, I think, is one of my favorite games. One, one of my... And so I, I played Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2 when they came out, but I never played 3 mm-hmm. for very complicated reasons that I won't get into now. Um, so I, I like, oh, this week, in fact, after making home launch, this weekend I was like, I finally got time to sit down and finish Mass Effect 2. Um, I was lucky enough to get a PlayStation 5 last week. Amazing. And so I've now switched to playing it. So I'm playing Mass Effect 3 remastered on the PlayStation 5, and that's been a lot of fun. Nice, nice. Are you, having not played Mass Effect 3, but playing the other kind of two games, mm-hmm. are you happy with Mass Effect 3? Kind of the way that, you know, the way that it kind well, of... Well, so, I, I'm glad you asked. Right, so it's really, it's 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 interesting because I did start playing Mass Effect 3. It was when I, like, it was when I started my PhD. So okay. stuff happened and then my, my, my Mass Effect 3 playing kind of went out the window. Um, but there was a moment, like I think it was last night or the night before I was playing, and Jessica Chobot from IGN turned up in the game and asked if she could come on my ship to be the reporter. And that's when I realized, oh, yeah, this is the one where EA got shit. <laughs> like, this is where EA was just, like, selling everything. And how long is it going to be till I can buy, like, the the Doritos branded spaceship to join and get the galactic galactic readiness level up by an extra 20 points um so there's that it definitely feels there's that vibe of they try to make this into like call of duty in a way it feels very different Mm. but i just want to see the story through sure Mm -hmm. have you played all of them like uh so i i didn't play the first mass effect um Mm -hmm. because i believe console wise it was an xbox exclusive yes um yeah, yeah. but i mm-hmm. did play two and i did play three um yeah. but i have had no desire to go back to the remaster at all mm-hmm. really I, I i very rarely yeah. play remastered games i've experienced mm-hmm. you know something the only the only time i go back to a remastered game is if i didn't finish the original version so something like shadow of the colossus which had its remaster on PlayStation 4 a couple of years ago now. I never finished Shadow of the Colossus. I maybe played the first few hours, the first couple of kind of bosses, and that was it. It was, you know, put put to the side and, and kind of never touched again. Um, so I, I played the remaster of that. But Mass Effect just doesn't... I, I tried to play Andromeda and maybe got halfway through with it and put it down. So it just never kind of appealed to me to go back to it. You know, I, I experienced what I experienced... Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're, you know, I, there's tons of people. Mass Effect is a huge franchise for a lot of people. Um, you know, big kind of sci-fi vibes. Uh, probably a lot of people's mm-hmm. first um, foray into kind of action games as well. You know, there's, yeah. a, there's a huge uh, swath of people in the gaming kind of industry in media consumers now who mass effect would have been their first kind of action and sci-fi sort of game mm-hmm. so it definitely hits uh, with a lot of people like i think for me something like dead space has a 
mm-hmm. bit more of a hold on me than than say Mass Effect. So mm-hmm. with the Dead Space remaster, uh, or yeah, like kind of like not even a remaster, like a full remake for that game coming yeah, up. Yeah, it's like a remake. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of a little bit more interested in something like that. Mm-hmm. Talking about franchises where the third game completely fucked it and um, went mm-hmm. just completely EA as different. Well, right? So yeah, and exactly another EA game which yeah. just it, just went completely off the rails. Um, nice. You you reminded me like of when I first played Mass Effect, like the the original was I was a school teacher and and, and I feel like there was a year I played Mass Effect, so that in the same within the space of a year I played the original Mass Effect, Bioshock, and Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and I remember those three games like I was playing games since I was a kid, you know, and but those were the three games where I was I was really like you know wow like how did this mm. these games make me feel this way like how, how like it's i think that was the start of me eventually making games was like those like see playing the that year of like buying an xbox 360 and kind of yeah just having time to play games that i don't think i'd ever had before because or like i either never had money or never had time like I, <laughs> there was a point where i was a school teacher i had the summer to play games and i remember like being able to sit and play mass effect and, and play bioshock and really think about those games and that was like wow um so yeah i think that's why that's got a special place for me nice nice uh, how about you dave uh so <clears throat> yeah obviously yeah with the tuesday stream things that's always been my way of just being like right i'm gonna play a little bit before stream maybe most of the time i don't I'm going to play some stuff on stream and we're going to enjoy that. Uh, And that's going to be how I'm going to get my research in for indie games and see what's what's happening. And often it's about six months to two years later than everyone else (laughs) is playing those games. Like I'm not cutting edge at all, obviously. It's like, oh, yeah, people were making a lot of noise about this a long time ago. Let's check it out. Um, But what happens during lockdown um, was obviously I wasn't able to play any board games or see any of my friends Mm. socially who were into that side of things. So um, I ended up going pretty deep on Valheim, like a lot of people did, obviously, um, and Satisfactory, um, which uh, I really enjoyed playing with a friend. Um, So for me, like those, those kind of bigger slightly sandboxy games um gave me and a friend a real chance to 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 spend a good few evenings together and enjoy um that whereas i suppose a lot of the stuff i bring on a tuesday night is more of a kind of a couple of hours solo often narrative driven experience um and then obviously with the reopening of things like even ignoring um you know term and the the launch of making it home and things like that obviously people have just wanted to hang out again uh and that's meant that a lot of my gaming has returned to the tabletop mm-hmm. um to the point where like our stream last night with hearthstone was probably the first time time i logged into hearthstone in a good few weeks which you know during lockdown would have been pretty unheard of um so yeah less gaming time now but um those those big sandbox experiences were really essential during lockdown for me definitely nice nice and for both of you um how 
do you feel kind of like the the, the games that you're drawn to the games that you know Dave uh, are playing these sandboxy games and playing them with a friend you know having that experience um, you know I get always will call back to when you and I were younger and we played a lot of things like EverQuest uh, or, or World of Warcraft you know those big MMOs together and things like that and that is you know uh, one of the kind of big things about why I don't generally tend to go for MMOs anymore not having those social experiences uh, with kind of people but how do you find that the games that you're playing now tend to sort of influence you and I'm going to ask the big question in a moment about what what Pillbug is going to be uh, focusing on in the next kind of like six months to a year but do you find that when you're looking at these games that you're taking in all of this kind of information and be like this this mechanic is cool or this story thread is cool i you know i'd really like to do something like this how do they kind of influence you is it is it all the time or is it sort of you can just separate yourself a little bit like i played it it was an experience with a friend i've enjoyed it cool put it over here don't worry about it mm mm-hmm I think it's a re- that's a really, really good question. Um, I think it, for me, it will always be slightly filtered through the lens of what I bring to any project anyway. Um, and I, I found myself, it was funny, we were playing uh, the Dark Crystal tactics game. Oh, I brought oh. that, I brought that a couple of, I, I brought that a couple of weeks ago, just because I was like, I just want, I was, it was like, just after we launched Make It Home, I, I was obviously knackered. And I just wanted something that was like felt pretty mindless, and that's, maybe that's unfair. But I just I just brought it turn based, you know. Don't have to worry about my terrible reaction speed. Um, and uh, those skexies are slow as fuck. That's to be fair. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are. They got no movement. Um, I just found myself skipping through the story, and oh. like I don't know if it's because I kind of knew it from the film and having watched a bit of the TV show but I was just like skipping through I wasn't reading it and that's pretty rare for me like that's that that's pretty unusual so normally I am trying to get into the story because that's what I take from like that's mm. my research right that's what I'm interested in it's like how does a game like Night in the Woods tell its story versus a game like um, Valheim right which, which you know really doesn't have much of a narrative compared to something like Night in the Woods or um, Spirit Fairer or something like that. Like I bring those games, yeah, because like mechanically they could be useful for us. But I'm more most interested in how it tells its story, mm-hmm. where it chooses certain emotional kind of touchstones to to bring in, and where it kind of just lets the player, you know, just fill in the gap for themselves and things like that. So that's that's always in the back of my mind is like how is this game telling its story so that I can be a better game storyteller. Yeah. Um, but Sean and I play a hell of a lot of simulators. Like our game we played more recently than most is Farm Simulator 19. Um, okay. You know, and of course we make the stories ourselves with any gaming experience, but you know, there's just no story there. So, um, so we're an odd mix, and we're like the odd odd couple of gaming development. Really, <laughs> Sean loves a uh, good simulator. Well, yeah, like, do I? Like, yeah, like. But that's not what I spend a lot of my time playing. Mm. Like if I'm if I'm spending time myself playing, I'll be playing. I kind of want. I want to sit downstairs, on my couch, and I want to play something 
in front of the TV, leaned back. You know, like I want that kind of chill. Like the the game I played before Mass Effect was Resident Evil Village, and like I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I enjoyed, you know, the story drove drove me through that, but also like it was fun to play, um, and the same with Mass Effect. It's the story that's driving me through it. Like my favorite game of all time is um, Outer Wilds, which mm. is very much a story driven game but like so i guess like outer wilds is probably the one where like i played it and i thoroughly enjoyed that whole experience and like like that is an understatement for how i feel about that game like i i i I can't hear the theme music without almost tearing up like it's incredible that game um because of anyway uh and um but also afterwards there's a lot of reflecting on how did that game work and 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 how did because it's a time looping game and like how did they get away with doing a thing that I have found challenging to do in a game we've made? What's the right? How do they get away with the balance of not giving you this information or allowing you to experience the story out of order, or or like how do they they don't teach the player this, yet they get away with it and players are okay with that? Mm. Why is that? Um, versus flipping Hearthstone where I was forced to play an hour of tutorial last night you know like like when I didn't need it the like, game mode you didn't even play that. yeah yeah um, <laughs> so I'm often thinking about that sort of thing it, it can be hard to separate yourself um, but I, fa- I don't know like I guess I found it easier recently I think after having maybe launch making a home and, and being and like saying right no this is my time now i'm going to spend some time playing games for fun and, and i'm going to turn that brain off for a while i think that's also like a really good skill if you can do that because i think anytime mm-hmm. you get involved with the creation of making of something or i would say as well the teaching of something um it's hard mm-hmm. to turn those sides of your brain off and just experience the film artwork book you know album whatever it is without the kind of creator side of yourself kind of coming in and saying oh how do they do that or i wouldn't have done that or yeah i'd like to try and do that kind of thing i think it's really a skill if you can do that dude. the the thing that i often find myself doing is like and and i don't think this is me as a game designer i think that like anyone who plays games will probably start to do it is like you predict what things are going to do mm-hmm. or you predict that i don't know the like there's going to be something hidden behind that waterfall or like there's going to be something like clearly the level design is pushing me to the right so i'm going to go left and you know there's a puzzle piece like that i was looking for you know absolutely yeah uh, good nice um do you guys have you know i suppose always kind of do you have one eye on the industry at the moment as well? You know, looking at kind of what is currently releasing within the same sort of space as you, within that sort of smaller developer kind of space and seeing how it is kind of received and maybe then even not quite the same space, but almost that next kind of step up and how they're like... uh, um, brought on by sort of the bigger kind of uh, um, even console makers like I've just I've just started Kenner Bridge of Spirits and it seems absolutely nuts that there is this insanely polished uh, kind of eight hour experience based around from what I played so far a pretty 
you know, standard kind of third-person action game, which has been massively pushed by PlayStation and, and, and picked up by them. Like, you know, Dave, you said that kind of the games that you play are maybe, you know, six months a year, 18 months kind of out of date as, Ten as years, such. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, you know, do, do you guys still have an eye on kind of like the the market as it is like now? Um, I tend to try to. Like, I think the last couple of weeks, I've very deliberately not. Mm -hmm. Like, I've deliberately turned off a bit, and, like, I've stopped listening to gaming podcasts for a few weeks. But, like, yeah, like, I've got an eye. Like, I I try to. I try to keep an eye on what's working and what's not working um, without any real good strategy to do it. But just kind of like keeping an eye, like listening, and and um, it it's something that is useful to do. And but I tend, I, I suppose, like in a lot of things, I tend to focus more on like what marketing things have worked, mm -hmm. or like what is the way people are actually getting people's eyes in front of games. And and really, like we can only learn from people who are similar size to us. Like we can't really learn anything from like big companies yeah. so so it's trying to not not keep an eye on that um the thing that's in my mind a lot is subscription services as well mm. and like what that means for us going forward mm. mm -hmm. i think that's the thing like that we we if we're going to take on board anything i think like and i appreciate this is a skill to identify them but identifying longer term trends that are even manifesting in those short-term successes or individual successes or things that appear to be short-term successes is the challenge and but also where the real value lies for someone like us i think the the issue with anything that has a creation time along the, the, the kind of time frames we're talking about is that you know if you try and do something in response to what you feel is like the it game now or the it trend now or whatever like in the year or two years it takes you to build that and make it and market it obviously the world's moved on so you know with with such lead in times to those kinds of things um you know it, 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 it i don't know how much value there is in in pushing that side of it rather than just making the game that you want to make and can make. Um, whereas I think, yes, if you can identify longer term trends in the industry, which God is no mean feat, obviously those are going to serve you well in two years time rather than um, now. Uh, it it, it least, would be anyway, like yeah. six months ago or even uh, two years ago going, right, I, let's start making a battle royale game. And then suddenly, two weeks later, it just kicks off. You're like, well, scrap that fucking idea. I mean, we're, 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 yeah, we're, yeah. by the time we're done, we'll be two years too late. And, I, you know, you guys kind of, at least with the, the, the games that you've put out, don't, like, none of them feel like they are chasing those trends, that they are trying to keep up the market. You're making kind of games that you want to make instead uh, and being a small developer, you have, I suppose, a, a, a bit of a freedom to be able to kind of do that and not have to keep up with the the latest kinds of things, you know. And as, as we said, you're not mm. you're not looking at Call of Duty and being like, we want those people to come and play our game. You're not you're not trying to chase that kind of thing. 
No, and I, I mean, Dave suffered in chat saying, "Be the next trend," uh, you know, and and you know that's that you know I, I taken obviously with in the kind of light tone it's meant, but I I think that's also kind of it's not what we're trying to do because obviously that, but but at the same time it's in the same space of what we are trying to do, which is um, to just make the game that we want to make, and hopefully that will fit, you know, where enough people are interested in gaming six months. 18 months two years down the line mm-hmm. um and if you make a, you know something with heart and love and pride like sean was saying and you know it it will find some audience mm-hmm. um and you know people people do respond to those and those I, sides of it yeah i do think it's, it is worth saying like that we do consider what market is out there like so we're making it home we had a very yeah. clear idea that hey people are playing games where you build stuff yeah you know, yeah. and then that, and and that, and, and I think that could be why we found a big audience on TikTok, hmm. because the age of the people who are on TikTok tend to be more that generation potentially, and why we're now, you know, compared to where we were, you know, we were marketing where we exist, which is not necessarily where the people that play building games yeah. exist. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think just one thing I would mention as well as like. The, one of the things that struck me about um, that approach of just making the game the next game you want to make, you know, and and that's great, and it can be very creatively f- fulfilling. But um, I think uh, who oh God was it Bullfrog, the, the the guys who made obviously uh, Dungeon Keeper and um, the many games that came before that. They uh, what's the guy Sean the the guy Molyneux? in the studio? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Um, is it Peter Molyneux? Yeah. Is that yeah. is that right? Yeah. He was very open about the fact they were just making the same game again, 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 again. Like, and he was like, "Well, why would we not do that? Because like people love this game, and we're making the same game. It's it's different, obviously, but ultimately, it's the same kind of game. We're not like trying brand new stuff every time. Um, Pillbug has, and I think part of that is us just wanting to follow our creative noses, but also I suppose it's you know partly just not being sure." we want to take that approach, which is a very business business sensible and business centric approach. Mm-hmm. And like in, you know, Captain Hindsight, um, maybe we should have just made another intelligent design game, like different, but the same game. But instead we made Cycle 28. Yeah. And it's, we it's, won't know. But it, again, but, it's an interesting space because we are in a completely different market than Bullfrog, which doesn't exist anymore, was mm. previously, you know, the, 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 the kind of the Peter Molyneux games uh, um, of more recent times haven't done particularly well. And, and people who were fantastic in the 80s and the early 90s, because there's only five lads playing their sim games over and over again and they want a dungeon version they want a hospital version they want a theme park version and it just you know rolls through those kinds of things suddenly we're in a much more diverse bigger and uh, just different market now than that was kind of previously so sure. there's, there's, there is that I suppose space for FIFA 21 FIFA 22 FIFA 23, you know, that. And then just whatever comes out. Yeah. 
I, it 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 I that's that's a super interesting point. So I wonder, like, if the more modern um, kind of Steam environment as a sales environment is less interested in brand identity than it, than you know uh, other areas because it's such a wild west maybe as as a con- as a consumer market yeah. compared to to others. So yeah, you may well have a point, and that might play in our favor. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to be, you know, the kind of developers that do find a niche and really stick to it. I just think we are too driven by individual mm-hmm. creative desires mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, I, I think that might be different if we suddenly had like a a massive, a massive success. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, then like, changes we would be everything. Like, what the heck are we talking about? Like Let's Cycle 28, it's sort of like 10 million copies on Switch. And you're like, best make be another one. Cycle 29 yeah, next. Make, yeah, yeah we've got a lot of numbers yeah. to get through everyone. Strap in. Yeah, uh, um, yeah of course. But I think, but but saying, you know, like, I still think there's something to be said for, and maybe, like, we hadn't figured out what we were before, whereas now, like, through doing the Tuesday streams, through making Making a Home, I think we have a better idea of the kind of people who come to our Discord, the kind of people who, the kind of games we tend to be drawn to to stream. Like, I feel like we have a better idea of what genre makes sense for us, and it and actually, like making it home is more in common with intelligent design than Cycle Twenty Eight did. Yeah, yeah. And at, and and I think you know that. I don't know why. Like this, mm. this is the kind of bizarre thing of like those games seem on paper to be massively different, but they totally are in the same Venn diagram on Steam. Like the people who play those games are totally there's the, this kind of simulation tag that somehow those people enjoy things like Cycle Twenty Eight. They enjoy making it home and they enjoy truck simulator. Yeah. And somehow those are the similar I don't know what like I don't understand I'm one of them, but I don't know why and I don't understand. And it's, it. we 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 see a lot more, at least this year, of these kind of like cross genre games. So uh, Dave Soft I think quite jokingly says in the chat, uh, hopefully not a dating sim. But actually Boyfriend Dungeon is one of the best yeah. games I have played this year. Wow. Half dating sim, half dungeon crawler. It just hits so, so well and balances those kinds of things out really, really well. And it's it's written very well. It's heartfelt in place. uh, And it has that kind of looping mechanic of you wanting to go back in and doing this you know it's similar to something like moonlighter where you want to get back in you want to keep playing you want to do those loops it just hit for me this year and it seems like a game which is incredibly niche but kind of sort of isn't and feels like the devs just went i don't know what the fuck do we want to make well we kind of want to make this okay let's do that sure give it a try just just smashed it out um and not to delve too deeply into this, Sean, you mentioned subscription services, and I actually played that through uh, Game Pass. Um, and I, I, I'm leading massively with my next question and what I've just said before. But what's next for Pillbug? Um... <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we're selling the next thing to Microsoft, isn't that? Isn't that what's next, Sean? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, do you want to answer? Who? Yeah, Seriously. yeah. We, well, I mean, like, like we don't know. Yeah. Like, is the is the is the honest answer? Like, we have it's too, it's too soon after the launch of making a home. I think, like we've said tonight, we kind of want to work on making a home. Mm-hmm. Is the is the kind of that's and beyond that, like we don't know. Um, 
like you know and that comes down to honest decisions of how long can Pillbug survive monetarily yeah like in in to be to mm-hmm. be blunt and and mm-hmm. that is a big like both in terms of the business itself but also in the terms of how much time that me and Dave put into this um which is like yeah that's just that's the reality really yeah and i i, th- I think i think that's period of time to to uh, bring out a few extra updates to make it home to maybe think seriously about cycle 28 update i i have the a feeling that there will be some rumblings of what what could be a next game um in, in between those times um or over that period should i say and it will just be a matter of a is it financially viable mm-hmm. and b is it is it where sean and i are at at that point in in you know in our lives or whatever um who knows it feels right now that like the world could just like i just throw us another massive global curveball right like i just don't feel like i can really make hugely long-term absolutely yeah yeah Um, but uh yeah yes suddenly the internet doesn't exist and you have to distribute it all on floppy disk not that anyone has a drive in their machine anymore to be able to kind of uh do that um but to try and kind of not to delve too much into into it from what you've kind of said but to get a little bit of a an insight into maybe what not what the next project will be but maybe where your kind of heads are at how did making it home kind of come about was it a I kind of want to do something around these mechanics. Was it a we've done this before? Let's do something completely different. Like how how did it sort of start? Where did that spark kind of come from? Do you want um, to go? Sure. I have a memory of it, and like any working relationship, like I get this with when I co-write. Sean may well have a very different mm. answer, uh, which I think is always kind of enlightening and interesting anyway. Um, I have distinct memories of conversations in and around launch of Cycle 28 of what's next. Uh, pub conversations uh, back when we could do that without even thinking about masks. Mm. Um, where it was like, you know, Cycle 20 is great, but we haven't really utilized the storytelling stuff that that we might have available on on the team through me um you know it felt like i was eased into the company a little bit that way um you know let's think about something that would amp that side of it up which is sean is always super excited about as as much as i am definitely um and uh then came i think it was i was playing 80 days at mm. the point and i was like this is kind of super interesting like it's a story there's journey here gameplay is like interesting but quite light like how does it get away with this like what kind of a bit like what sean was saying how does how do these games do the things that they get away with doing um and uh that kind of collided with sean's desire which often pops up at various points i think it's fair to say of like big base building mechanics Mm. like whether it's in space whether it's what happened in making it home um Mm -hmm. And it was like, how can we merge and mesh those two together? And that's kind of where I thought making it home came from. But is that where you think it's um, from, dude? Or? No. Um, <laughs> no, good, no, no, good, yeah, good, yeah, good, it's good. partly that. But the, the other thing was, 
I think it's one. I think it's actually it's something that happened over quite a long period of time. Like, and and so so like that is an aspect that got to what making it home is of the traveling across America. I think because originally it was going to be traveling around the world, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, crap. we're going to full rip off. If we try to do yeah. that, we'd we'd have I don't like it wouldn't be out yet. Um, yeah, like oh my god, Act One was just going to be getting across America. Then it was going to yeah. be a boat. <laughs> like, yeah, like wasn't it? Like what the heck? Yeah. which I um, still think is a great idea, by the way. But yeah, yeah um, we were going to do it episodic. Um, mm-hmm. That was the original plan. The oh. so um, you know the, it was this when we were looking for streamers for making it for, for Saga Twenty Eight. It's like they're all playing bloody building games. Mm. Yeah, like not so many retro eighties arcade shooter streamers out there. And I think you had this idea of starting on a skateboard mm. and skateboarding along. And as you skateboard along, you just have you have to like grab like trees from the road and then build your skateboard into something bigger. And I was like, I, "Hey, dude, have I, you seen Raft?" Yeah, I had what you seen just Raft. described. And and then and but that was like a oh yeah, we should do that. And then it turned into like a more base building-y. Like cause at one point we were talking about having, um, it was almost going to be, we were talking about it being almost like a WarioWare-like game. Okay. Where like every single panel was its own mini game that you would have to complete. And it was about how quickly you complete those mini games. And that's how much thrust you get. Um, yeah, so it, it did. I did. Yeah, like I, it was. it was a mix of what did... I think like with every project that is like what do we want to learn from this project mm-hmm. what do we want to work on what do we want to do but then also that we do always think like can we sell this to people mm-hmm. that has to be there like what what is the people actually want to buy this it does and I, I also would add in our constraints like we are hugely constrained yeah. by by the two person team and also what what those two people are capable of doing i mean i have often said this to sean like you know you you brought on a writer where you should really have been hunting down artists like because i think that would have opened up a huge like so much more space it feels to me that that's what we're constrained by is the art that we're able to do like people often say well you've got a you've got a writer on on, on your tiny team like why aren't you doing um, you know, a, a visual novel or, you know, a walking sim or whatever. And it's like, you don't need a writer for those things. You need a ton of art. Like, that's what you need for those games. Those games live and die on their artwork, not not so much the actual writing. So um, I think our constraints are what um, come into that decision-making process all the time, mm. whether or not we're conscious mm. conscious of it or not. And you guys kind of outsourced art for making a home in a way for for some of it, like backgrounds and, and, yeah. and various things as well, didn't you? So it, it's kind of, I suppose, filling in the gaps occasionally on, on, on these things. But does that play into your initial thoughts for sort of a, for a project? And being like, let's not make a visual novel because of that absolute constraint unless we bring on a third party who will be doing 80% of the work because it's a visual novel. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I suppose that limits you in a, in a, in a bit of a way uh, of being like, right, we, we know that the games that we make are kind of mechanic, mechanically driven um, in these various kinds of ways they have this sort of feel about them and they have this then story. Maybe it's kind of, you know, a, a bit RNG kind of to some mm. kind of elements to it and those sorts of things. I, I suppose 
that must build into your thoughts about what might be next as well. I think so. Um, mm -hmm. I think so. Like, I don't know, but like, I I always feel that you know, Sean has we we we've 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 got a bunch of interesting ideas. Like Sean's, I often find I'm um, Sean. You can again disagree with me here, but I'm often quite keen to be led by whatever's kind of Sean's big itch to scratch in terms of what game he really wants to make next. And I think that's great. Like, I'm more than happy to be led by that. Because uh, to some extent, kind of coming back to what you were saying briefly, it was like, no one wants a blank canvas, really. Mm. Like, a totally blank canvas is terrifying for anyone who's trying to create anything. So, you like, leaning into some of those constraints and working within them is a much better creative process anyway. So I think, you know, early on, you could be like, oh, no, we don't have this. We don't have that. We can't do this. We can't do that. That's a bad thing. It really isn't. It's a positive positive mm -hmm. thing because you don't want that blank yeah good okay nice nice i think that's a place for us to uh to leave our chat this evening um we will jump back into beers i think um just to round us out for the episode dave you, you only had the one beer this week my favorite was good uh, <laughs> happy to be here. is it something you would and pick I up again yes it is it is um and uh you know i often order a pilsner without really thinking about it very mm. much um uh so that's a bit like picking this out of the fridge which is like it's 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 here i will drink it it's fine and um, without really giving it much consideration as to why i enjoy them or why i might not enjoy them so um you know just talking about it tonight and drinking it uh, was was super interesting and useful for me to like give that side of things a little bit more thought than i have in the past nice so that's cool. Good. Good. Um, yeah. Perfect. Sean, uh, have you got a preference out of the two? Yeah, I think actually the 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 kind of session IPA that I had, the um, the Ilkley, it like as much as the the other beer was kind of like a really nice memory and mm, was like yes. really enjoyable and kind of just a relaxing nice beer. This surprised me because usually like a session beer I is I like it's nice but like not. For me, I've never had like a really interesting one, but this one it was like every time I took a sip, I was tasting something different, mm. and that I really enjoyed. Um, definitely, as it warmed, it got like you know when when I first drank it, it was like mm, it's, like there's not much here, but I think as it kind of got towards kind of room, you know, like I could taste more as it was warming, and and, and it got super interesting towards the end. Good. Okay. Nice. Uh, for me, I I think I'm also going to pick my second beer. This evening, which was the Polly's Double Dry Hopped Petal. Uh, the rum cover from Wild Horse was good, and Wild Horse are always good. Uh, they have nice beers. Um, out of the, the four or five that I have had from them, they have always been good. Um, but Polly's are kind of next level. They they just sit above so many other breweries, and, and just almost every single beer you have is going to have a certain quality to it and will sit above other stuff and, and with this it's not even a double IPA yet it contends in that space with a lot of these double IPAs which are doing these more earthy flavours but balances these things so much better and, and perhaps they have hit on that mark of being like it isn't a double IPA maybe that's the problem maybe you're trying to be too big and actually by dropping it down very slightly making it a little bit more balanced 
that is the the key to this flavor combination so the polys was just just a very very drinkable very nice beer this week um so yeah uh, i mean polys almost always are my favorite beer whenever i have them so i'm slightly unfortunate for wild horse perhaps um so uh yes they are the beers that we have drank this evening uh they're the games that you two make and have been playing and and things thank you everybody for joining us uh this evening on twitch as well and joining in the conversation if you would like to listen to tanked up regularly you can get us in your podcast service of choice or you can go to out of lives on youtube to see our beautiful faces uh we had um Bristol-based developers, or Rock Digital, on a couple of weeks ago to talk about their new game uh, that's in development, Brewmaster, where you are basically brewing beer. It's a brewing sim, ah, um, which nice. it kind of it's it's the niche, right? It's a perfect, perfect, perfect fit. fit. Perfect fit. Um, yeah. So you can go back onto our YouTube, or as I say, on the on your podcast service of choice. You can also go to outoflives.net to see everything that we do. Uh, I have been playing a ton of Road ninety six, uh, which I I absolutely love this game. It's fantastic. Uh, my final uh, playthrough of the episode will be going up on the YouTube channel uh, Thursday, which will be tomorrow slash yesterday depending on when you're listening slash viewing this episode uh or even four weeks ago if you're a few weeks back it's there it's on the youtube at some point exactly um as someone mentioned in the uh chat earlier covid time it's like 1.7 times what's actually happening um and i'm also playing deathloop which i will have some words up about on uh on outoflives.net over the next few days as well Drop us a follow, drop us a like, all of that shit. You know what you're meant to do to boost numbers. And join in the conversation every week. Um, as Out of Lives does, Pillbug also has a Discord as well. So you can kind of connect with any of us to get a link and join us all on our Discord. I, on Twitter and almost everywhere, am at Nova underscore 47, N-O-V-A underscore 47. Dave. If people want to talk to you, if they want to connect, if they want to play games with you, maybe they're playing Valheim as well, and they want someone else to join in with their session, how do they get hold of you? Uh, so on Twitter, I'm at D underscore Towsy, that's T-O-W-S-E-Y. Uh, and obviously, I'll pinch the at Pillbug Int uh, on, um, on Twitter as well. And then Sean can talk you through our tiktok and, other, and his personal modern yeah. technologies uh, sean if people want to uh, people want to comment on why mass effect 2 is the best one and and tell you kind of what's going on how do they do that um so they can uh, at me on twitter at dr sean walton that's dr and then sean is s-e-a-n um and yeah we have a banging tiktok like it at pillbug int uh, we are like down with the kids and they love us. Nice. Definitely come there. Nice. But everything to do with Pillbug, you can find on pillbug.zone. I love I I still love That's it. It's, it's even from the first mention of it. I love that this is the space you live in. Yeah. It's it's also uh, yeah. Just to clarify for everyone, that's a website. I don't know if you realised that from Sean's description. <laughs> Took me a while. But, hey, yeah. give it. Yeah. Give us another it, five years. Things... People won't know what the fuck websites are. Don't I mean it's. Yes, that's true. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So like like I re- I had an email from the, the person who owns Pillbug.com asking how much money we'd spend on it. <laughs> like, no. Nice fifty p. No, we actually chose this yeah. one. Like it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got Pillbug.co.uk. I think that's ours. Wow. But who knows? Yeah. Why would we want that? Just instantly yeah, redirect to zone. the dot zone instead. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is what it does. Like. <laughs> Brilliant. Nice. Um, yes. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Ben. Uh, thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Sean, for coming on and chatting through um, making it home, which is available on all good Steam stores right now. Yeah. As a full version. I mean, it's, it's nuts, yeah. right? It's nuts to have the the full version of this game out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us, Ben. It's always yeah. Fun. Thanks, Ben. Absolutely no worries. Thank you both for uh, giving up your evening to come and talk to me. Uh, about the game and thank you everyone for jumping in the Twitch chat as well um, check us out every week we are tanked up we talk about beers we talk about games you can also catch Adel and Lucy who are not here this week but who regularly come on every week my co-hosts who will be back um, now Adel is back from Canada uh, and you can get all of us at Tanked Up Cast on Twitter or Out of Lives Net on Twitter as well and as I say go to outoflives.net uh, our website for all of the things that we do we love you all they have been the beers they're the games that we make they're the people that we are they're the things that we love we will catch you next week have a good evening bye bye www.outoflives.net <laughs>